we're on tape now, just in case everybody wants. But um, if you will open in prayer, since you're the host, and did you give him the prayer request for? Um, show him, so he can pray for a little child that's having ear. How are you pray? Alexander? Alexander or Chuchu? He's the one with the Sanguata problem. Yeah. Yes, okay. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we can spend together and study your word. Mm-hmm. We thank you that we can uh, uh, have an open house and that we can study it without anybody saying anything. Father, we just thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and mm-hmm. realizing he is the meaning for everything. Mm-hmm. This season, the reason we're here your word to, to let us know more about you. Mm. Father, we just uh, ask that you would be with uh, Choo Choo as he goes through his uh, situation tomorrow mm. and that you would guide the surgeon's hands and mm-hmm. help him to uh, be comforted knowing that it's you. Father, we just uh, ask that you would uh, guide us and direct us as we go through this study. Mm. And we pray all this in your blessed son's name. Amen. Amen. Come in, brother. Yes. The weather. Oh, man. At the right hand. (laughs) Okay. Zechariah. What I'm going to do tonight is um, skip over uh, the vision, the third, fourth, and fifth vision, and go to the uh, sixth, what I'd like to cover, chapter five and six. The sixth. 7th and 8th visions. So the last three visions of the 8 which begin in chapter 5 verse 1 and go through the middle part of chapter 6 and then as I indicated Sunday night beginning in just so you see it with your eyes beginning in chapter 6 with verse 9 down to the end of the chapter is a proclamation that kind of closes out uh, that vision, the eight visions. You remember we, when we covered the first vision? Well, you don't remember, but <laughs> you will if you listen to the tape. Uh, the the uh, first vision had a proclamation after it, and then we had the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and then after the eighth, there's a there's a proclamation after it too. Okay, you follow with me? Mm-hmm. You remember what I'm talking about in chapter one? I'll show you the actual verse numbers. The vision goes through verse eleven. And and then we have the uh, proclamation beginning there in verse 12 down through verse 17. Everybody remember that? When we looked at that? And so the after the eighth vision of the four chariots, it, there's a similar pattern. So as we've noted before, the Lord uses style and uh, as He presents these things. And remember, as we said Sunday night also, all of these, all eight of these visions came as chapter one, verse seven tells us. And look, at, and I really would want you to look at these verses with your own Bible, follow along, because I, I don't want you to take my word for it, especially with apocalyptic literature. But verse seven of chapter one, the twenty-fourth day of the eleventh month, these visions came, and there's no other time marker all the way to the end of chapter six. So all of these eight visions came uh, at the same time, and then chapter seven begins with with uh, uh, two years later in the fourth year of King Darius. So, 
these are the visions that, that were given to Zechariah and as we'll see tonight see again tomorrow night Lord willing Wednesday night and in Lord's Day morning I mean it's staggering as I look more and more at Zechariah uh, I wondered I wondered in, in studying I've been studying through Zechariah pretty much all year um, and and I just wondered you know why do we not hear more preaching on Zechariah in even I'd say in the last 15 years I, I don't think I've ever heard any preaching other than when I've done it uh, in different places I've been or in the assembly I grew up in part of the reason might be because it's, it, it is hard to understand especially the eight night visions uh, but even chapters uh, 9 through 14 are a little difficult but not impossible it, it takes a lot of time you know like you have to go through it a bunch of times to really begin to but the information it's giving here is so relevant to what's going on in our day and it ties in completely I think as I'll try to show tonight with everything that we have of other books of the Bible talking about the end times Ezekiel, Revelation, Daniel, so forth so we'll pick up with the sixth uh, vision in chapter 5 verse 1 it goes down through verse 4 so maybe Ron if you'll read those verses for us for um, Zechariah 5 I'm reading from the ESD so. okay. again I lifted my eyes and saw and behold a flying scroll and he said to me what do you see and I answered I see a flying scroll its length is 20 cubics and its width 10 cubics and then he said to me this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land for everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side I will send it out declares the Lord of hosts and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name and it shall remain in his house and consume it both timber and stones thank you brother welcome Brett. so we're in Zechariah chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 now this this is something I believe uh, uh, there's nothing in history that matches with this before the church age and, and or during the church age so this is something after the the um, rapture of the church during the tribulation period apparently Oh wait, who is that in the other room? And how do you know the timing of it after the rapture of the church? Well, because it it's not this isn't happening this hasn't happened during the church age. What he's describing here doesn't happen and, and I'll I'll show you what he's trying to say and I think you'll agree with me. Okay. Um thank you, brother. So we're in Zechariah five, one through four, the flying scroll. Um it's interesting that you know the, the, the it's a scroll which you know uh, we we know about a scroll in Ezekiel we know about a scroll in uh, Revelation chapter six and in chapter ten the little scroll and and this particular scroll has the dimensions when you check it out twenty cubits by ten cubits have to be the dimension I believe of the holy of holies in the tabernacle 
So that would be the, the place where the Shekinah glory dwelt, the Ark of the Covenant and so forth. In other words, the presence of God, the holiest part of the tabernacle. And um, But the key thought in this is in verse 3, the curse. This is the curse. So it's a curse that's going out over the face of the whole earth. Okay? So not just confined to one area of the earth it's a curse going out over the whole earth and and it has to do with uh, two particular uh, commandments of the ten commandments the third commandment and the eighth commandment right third commandment many believe would be representative of you remember we think of we divide the ten commandments into what we call the two tables of the law the first table of the law, the first five commandments have to do with a relationship with God. The second five have to do with our relationship with man, right? Which uh, fits with the two greatest commandments that our Lord gives in Matthew 22. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? So there's that vertical component, that horizontal component, consistent with the, with the, the five uh, commandments of the law. So many believe since it's the third commandment is the middle commandment of the first five and the eighth is the middle commandment of the second five, it could be representative of all the ten commandments or he could be emphasizing these two particular sins which are two sins that uh, many in the world struggle with today. Thievery, every thief shall be expelled according to one side of the scroll and then every perjurer shall be expelled according to the other. That would be someone who uses the Lord's name irreverently. See, I shall not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain, right? So, I think we can accurately say that's not happening today. <laughs> because look at the, what, what the expelling is in verse 4. I will send out the curses in italics because he's referring to the curse of verse 3. So I will send it out, the curse, says the Lord of hosts, and look what it it shall enter the house of the thief. In other words, stealing and perjury, particularly having to do with the Lord's things, are things that can be secret sins, can be you know, uh, hidden from others, but they can't be hidden from God. And so God is saying that, that during this particular time, which uh, I believe is the tribulation period, that uh, that he will, you can see, this is another reason why we make the distinction dispensationally between the church age and the tribulation period and the kingdom. That things God is going to operate differently during those times. And um, so the curse shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. So that's what he means by perjury. And it shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with his stones and timbers. Well, what does that remind you of in Leviticus? What was it that, that they were concerned about getting into the timber, actually getting into the wood of the house and, and, and destroying it? Remember? Uh, leprosy. leprosy was one of them. And mold or mildew in the house, right? And what was the solution? Well, you would uh, carve that piece out if you could or destroy, burn the whole house. That was something they were to do when they came to the land because apparently that was a real... Uh, problem it was amongst the Canaanites, maybe part of God's judgment on the Canaanites. We know from Leviticus 18 and 19 that, that they were involved in all kinds of devious sexual behavior and devious 
uh, sins like what our country is and Europe is going into now again uh, only we haven't gone as far as the Canaanites yet um, it'll be interesting to see if God allows that to happen so these people are you know are going God is going to deal with them in a judgment and a purging of the people of the earth and especially of Jewish people here because they would be the ones who knew the law who were educated on the law but he says the face of the whole earth some believe it's just confined to Jewish people but I think I think uh, it's going to be Jewish and Gentile people alike people that were particularly involved in these two types of sin swearing falsely by his name in other words verbally giving allegiance to God in some circles but then in their hearts really being you know despising God and despising God's things you know, nobody else would know because they can't see the heart but God would know and that suddenly you'd see these things happening in their houses to consume them which would ultimately consume the people too of course now, now you're saying this is after this is during the tribulation period yeah I think this this has to uh, it, this is this begins uh, this is a judgment right and all three of these judgments the church is gone yeah and so would this be with the remnant, particularly with the 144,000? Well, I mean, the remnant would be uh, a good question. They would be in existence, but they wouldn't be guilty of these sins or they wouldn't be the remnant, right? right? So what God is doing, you see, we know that He is the people during the tribulation period. That is, is uh, say, a staging ground, if you will. It's a preparation for the millennial kingdom. We know that it, when our Lord comes back, Matthew 25, and sits on His glorious throne at the beginning of the kingdom, at the end of the tribulation period, He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. In other words, unbelief, there will be no unbelief, not one unbeliever will go into the kingdom time frame. At the beginning of the kingdom, there will be unbelievers, there will be offspring of the people, but everyone that goes into the kingdom will be believers, see? Jewish and Gentile. The unbelievers will have been purged during the tribulation period. Now, this isn't the only form of purging that will exist. There'll be other the forms too. Who repent? No, they don't repent. Well, I mean, he's purging out from amongst the believers. Right. You know, I'm just trying to. Yeah. In other words, you've got you've got a population of the earth. You've got right. people that are, you know, the believers are going to be a very small percentage, mm-hmm. and many of them are going to be martyred. Right. We know from the book of Revelation. So, but still, God is in control, and, and th- those who think they are pretending amongst men, God will know who they are, and He is going to institute this particular curse, something that hasn't existed, didn't exist. This didn't happen. Of it, there isn't any record of anything like this happening in the Old Testament time frame. It could have. The law was out there, but it didn't, and it hasn't existed during the Church Age. We call it the Age of Grace, you know. And, and the Bible does. One one reference I think is interesting that I may be a parallel to this in the book of Revelation. You may want to hold your finger in Revelation because I'm going to go to Revelation um, with each of these three uh, final visions. But in chapter 14 of Revelation, remember in verse 6 and 7, he says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. You remember what it says here? The scroll was flying. It's a flying scroll. You know, in, in the midst of heaven, all right? It's the word of God. It's the law that, that's on the scroll on either side of it. And is this angel's flying and having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who 
the earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. See, so not just the Jewish people. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. See, that's a different message. I mean, it's, it, is, it is good news. It is the gospel. But it, it's not, not quite the, you know, it's not the fullness of the message that we give. We're more specific. You know, trust in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Fear God, give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, sea, and the springs of water, and so forth. So you, you take it that this could be a reference to a literal flying scroll, right? No, I don't think it's a literal flying scroll. Oh, you don't? No, I think it's, it's apocalyptic language. See, and okay. so uh, with apocalyptic language, the 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 uh, the symbol that's used is a symbol of it's communicating a certain truth. In other words, the scroll is representative of the word of God going out, and it, the word of God. One of the ways the word of God is going to go out during the tribulation period is by the, these angels that are proclaiming from heaven. It's amazing God's going to do it that way during that time. He doesn't do it that way now. See, so he proclaims even through us. There's, there's dimensions given. Right. We're not taking this as a literal flying scroll. That's right, because even the dimensions may be representative of both the Holy of Holies have these dimensions, and in the if you look in uh, in in Kings, the dimensions of the uh, I think it's the outer court of the temple and Solomonic temple have these dimensions too. Okay, so both would have symbolic meaning and would be consistent with how we're interpreting this. That God is going... To, it's, a, it's judgment. That is, is, it's a form of judgment and it's a form that's unique that God hasn't done before. Which we see a lot of things that are unique in the way God deals with humankind during the tribulation period. Right? And, and you're saying it could be a, a reference to that aspect of the tribulation in, in, in Revelation 14. Right. I'm saying it could be there. Because there isn't enough of a literary link other than they're flying. You know, both of them are in the midst of heaven. That's the only link I'm seeing. But, but uh, of course, and, and the idea of judgment is in both of them. Did they realize that was uh, what it is? You know, a, a prediction of Well, will they? You saying in Zechariah's time or in the time of the in tribulation? Time? Would they realize that they interpretation realize of? That? I, you have to go back and you know read what the rabbis wrote, and the rabbis are all over the map on this. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just thinking that you know the, when the Lord was reading in the temples, you think maybe he could have picked Zechariah and explained it to him. They would have, but see this is, and that's a good point, Bob. I was thinking that this afternoon, that um, you know, why didn't the Lord, when He gave us this information, He gives us a piece here that's not in Ezekiel, and it's not in Revelation, and it's not in Daniel, but it's consistent with all of the other ones. And and why did God not put them all in one book? Is what you're saying? Well, because. I don't know the direct answer to that, but I could I can make it. The answer to that would be because he wants us to study it. <laughs> he he's not going to spoon feed us like a little infant baby. He wants us to compare scripture with scripture because for one, scripture cleanses us, makes us more like his son, right? Second Corinthians three eighteen. For number two, it he he's he's saved us to a relationship. 
He didn't just save us to a code, an ethical code or something. He wants to have a relationship with Him, and so He wants us to be dependent on Him. He wants us to ask Him in prayer, and Lord, show me, illuminate my heart on, to understand these kinds of things. And He wants us... I mean, most of us, I think, have a mind that we get. Ex- I get excited, I know, in, in comparing these Scriptures, and when you see these links and all, and the Holy Spirit is guiding us as we do that in our personal study and in group study, and and that's part that that's the joy of discovery is part of it too. And I think that's I think that would be all of those together would be the reasons why. I think also the, the fact that as these things wrangle their way out, the word of God will still be here. We'll be gone, yes. But as they wrangle their way out, they speak, they may become very clear. Oh, they will. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah. So, but that's the way it is now. I mean, if you you take um, uh, some of the great Bible scholars. Uh, who died before the turn of the century uh, of looking at the Word of God and saying that Israel must be regathered again. Yes. Yeah. They look like fools. Yes. People laughed at them. Yeah. you got to be kidding. Yeah. And now these things have transpired before our very eyes. So it looks very clear to us now. It's been very clear to see Ice Goldfield. Right. That's right. I mean, they were really... They stood on that. Yes. They, and they, they went out on a limb. Uh, they were they were way ahead of 1948, and they were precise. And and as you're saying, they were mocked by the by Christendom, and by a lot of uh, Christendom would be a lot of unbelieving people that claim Christ's name, but a lot of believing Christians too. You know, so-called scholars, especially in the Covenant and Reformed theology, they they wrote uh, vicious attacks. I mean, that's all in writing. It's in print. You can read it. Uh, and, and here we are seeing, and of course, all of covenant theology had to make an adjustment after 1948. Whoops, 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 what is this, you know? Now, it, it, I haven't really studied this in detail as far as this, these, these um, signs are concerned, but is there anyone that believes that this might be the millennium? The flying scroll? Yeah. That there is uh, there's a purging of the land. The Lord will not allow sin. No hidden sins. The idea is no, there will not be a hidden sin. We think we get away with it now. Mm-hmm. It won't be that way in the morning. No, that's right. Uh, there may be a few that would hold that, but I think uh, the judgment, in, I mean, this, this is clearly a scene, this is a curse. Right, and the, and the kingdom, the millennium is, is a blessing. Right. It, yeah, it's a removal of the curse, curse, right? Those who are, are, are guilty, the parties are guilty, they're going to be dealt with. Oh yeah, and but that'll that be. Might, it might set in the beginning of the millennium. As God, I mean, things aren't going to change overnight. People are going to say, "Oh, you know, it's going to be a purging." Well, I would say this: that that purging, yes, you're right. There's going to be a purging, but the purge, the time for the purging is not the millennium; it's the tribulation, because we know when in Matthew 25, when he sits on his throne and separates the sheep and the goats, right. none of the goats go into the kingdom. They all go to the. As far as being believers. So the purging is going to happen, but the purging is going to happen in the uh, tribulation period. Now, it may not happen all seven years. It may be confined to the last three and a half or something like that. But rule with a rod of iron, right? Oh, yeah. And so it could... I mean, there's got to be some well, form the, of... Well, yeah, that's, what, that's us. <laughs> that's what the church is going to do for them. In other words, though, we can't be dogmatic, or can we be dogmatic no. that it's in the tribulation? No, I don't think we can be dogmatic that it, it, it can't go into the... I think we can be fairly certain that it's not going to precede the tribulation period, you know, what he's describing here. 
but uh, could this go into the uh, uh, kingdom period? Uh, sure. I, I, I don't see that as, as the way the kingdom is described, though, in the Bible. It's, it's a time of blessing, and it, it, at least at the beginning of the kingdom, the only ones who will be in it will be believers. Now, they will have children, and they will train them up, and uh, you know, by the time we get to Revelation 20, we find that there, there were a lot of the children that were giving outward o- obedience to the Lord, but inwardly they were rebellious. But they weren't purged out because they're alive to rebel when Satan is released, right? So it doesn't look like this would fit with the kingdom. Yeah, innumerable. Innumerable. Yeah. There's not just uh, 14 people that join up with Satan. Right. We're talking about they come out of the woodwork like bad Right. So that would be, that's my point. See, so if that's true, then then this wouldn't be happening to them because if this happened to them, they wouldn't be alive at the end of the thousand years. That'd be what I would say. Could those two anointed ones be the two uh, Elijah and Moses that are going to be in, in, in the middle of the tribulation with, with flame flamethrowers? Could this, could this possibly be that? In chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, the two anointed ones? Well, they they will uh, they will be doing you know that you know calling fire down from heaven and so forth. Uh, you're right, but it, but this is something different, right? It's specifically talking about you know your house and consume it with timber and stones and that. So this is something that that uh, isn't you know fire coming down from heaven. But those two are going to be doing that a parallel that thing. Yeah, you know, with, with the purging. Yes, you know, what they're doing is judgmental. What's described here is judgmental too, right? Yeah, they, they got that consistency. That's what the seven-year period is about. So that's why, you know, again, when people want to say, well, we want to put the church in the middle of the tribulation, up to the middle or up to the end, you know, they don't understand what the tribulation is about. We don't need to be purged. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. If if I've got to go through the tribulation to be cleansed for one sin, then then that's a dishonor to the Lord's blood. It's saying His blood is not efficacious anymore. And God's not happy with that. That's His Son that died. And First John 1.7 says, His blood keeps on cleansing us in the church age from all sin. So we want to give all the glory to the Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. I don't need the tribulation to cleanse me. And no one else in the church does, see. So that's another reason. There's there's a whole host of others, but for the sake of time, let me move on. Then you got those. Those are good discussion items for sure. But I want to get through all of uh, these last three because they're all deal with judgment and they they're progressive too to some extent. Beginning in verse five of uh, chapter five, down through the end of the chapter, verse eleven. Maybe Malcolm, you could read that for us. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. I said, What is it? He said, This is a Nephah that goeth forth. He said, Moreover, this is their resemblance throughout the, all the earth. Behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. <coughs> and he said, This is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah and he cast the weight of lead upon the mount about the mouth thereof. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. And I said to the angel that talked with me, whether did these bear the ephah? He said unto me, to build it 
and house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base. Thank you. Wow. This is wickedness. Now here, I believe, is is a parallel to Revelation 17 and 18. Lots of reasons we can make connections here. One is from verse 11, the land of Shinar, that's Babylon. And in Revelation 17, the woman is called Mystery Babylon the Great, the harlot of harlots. Now, don't don't get down on the sisters, okay? I mean, because he's using a woman here because he's not picking on women. We're not doing a war against women tonight, and the Lord's not doing that in Zechariah. He's not saying, well, see, here's a woman. She's always wanting to go shopping. She's in the marketplace. No, but he uses a woman because uh, he uses the feminine with reference to cities and he uses the feminine with reference to things that particularly draw men and lead them, especially if it's a harlot, lead them into evil practices, right? Because of what a woman does to the heart of a man. And, And so that's one of the reasons why a couple of the reasons why he uses a woman here to represent wickedness but but the woman this, that he's describing it, the ephah was connected to commerce the measuring basket and so he's talking about uh, godless commercialism which is what Revelation 17 and 18 are talking about too but in Revelation 17 and 18, he doesn't really bring it out so much in this image. The, the, the religious component is added to it, right? But the key there, remember that whole list in Revelation 18 of the, the, the merchants of the earth? or, or we, Why are they weeping, see? Because they've lost their income. It's not because they care about religion. Not because they care about God. Not because they even care about the, the city that's destroyed uh, by the angel. They care about, you know, there goes our income. And, and, and he lists, you know, that all those different the things of commerce, you know, all the things they they traded in, and the souls of men, which tells us you know, again, slavery is going to come back. Probably very much it was in the Roman Empire. More than sixty percent of the Roman Empire were slaves. They marketed in people. They used they marketed them. They you know I traded this one for this one, traded this one for that one. They used them as as a thing of marketability. And that will happen again. We we see that already happening in some respects. That's part of where I, where South Florida is headed. In in my view, it's it's becoming you know the rich on the coast and then the the poor that, that serve them, and and the rich want the poor to stay poor because they want them to serve them, and and the ones in between you know are are moving out. They can't afford to live down here, and that seems to be by design of somebody. How that's all happening, but that I think that'll happen in a grander scale in parts of Europe, and uh, and of course it's happening in China. You know that their a lot of their system is based on that exploitation of people. So it's interesting. I thought of it occurred to me only recently. You know the lead, the talent of lead, and and for years I remember studying this in 1980s. Uh, and and I've never seen a commentary. They, they just kind of skip over that, you know. But you know, how is lead connected to commerce? The ephah is connected to commerce. It's a measuring basket. That's how they traded. But how is lead connected to that? Anybody have any ideas? You'll probably come up with it quicker than I did. It took me 30 years. 
Mm, could be. Think of it in terms of commerce in Zechariah's day. Not so much in our day. Well, have you heard of uh, balances? You know, when you go to buy something and and say, well, lead was the, was for the coinage, but lead wasn't for the coinage. Lead was for the the weight, the counterweight to the coinage. The counterweights always was lead, and that's how they measured the value of something on the other side by the, the lead they put on the one side, right? Remember the whole, you know, the the misuse of that was one of the things in the law. The Lord said that you're to use a just weight and balance, you know, in commerce. Yeah, and so I think, uh, and and certainly from Revelation 17 and 18, uh, wickedness is is. Uh, Linked to that, and, it, and this commercial system, uh, one one uh, commentary I was reading talked about, and, and, and the three divisions of commerce, the three main divisions of commerce that are talked about in Revelation 17 and 18 is uh, manufacturing. You have to have manufacturing of goods to have goods, right? And then distribution. Distribution of the good. I mean, you're not going to make money unless you distribute. You know, unless you. And what's the primary means of distribution of goods in our? Not so much in Zechariah's day, but in our day. What was? What's the primary means of distribution for large quantities of goods? I'll give you a bit another hint. The port of Miami, shipping, right? Shipping. Was is the what actually you, the Phoenicians made you know that's what made Tyre the marketplace of the nations was by shipping even then in in 2000 BC but certainly today it's without doubt that is the main you know you you say the r- railroad yet yeah, some the trucking to some but not in the quantities that shipping does and it covers all the realms of the distribution of goods I mean food is distributed oil distributed other kinds of products you know right. And then, so that so you've got manufacturing, factories, you've got distribution, but it would include all types of distribution of goods. You've got to have that in order to have commerce. We're talking about defining commerce here, right? Commercialism, and the third component is investing, right? Capital. You don't start a business without capital, and usually it's a venture capitalist that enables someone. Oftentimes that's a bank, but usually that's individuals that start companies, and they it's it's a risk to them. They're going to decide, well, I'm going to invent. You know, let you you've got some invention, you got something that you're going to manufacture, and it's going to make a lot of money for me and you. I'll make more of it because I'm the one, you know, providing the capital. See. I'm doing and so that's 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 how commerce works. And look at look at the emphasis on investing today. It's it's all over every form of media that there is. That's every, it's all it's brought before us all the time. Makes Not just the Dow Jones Industrial. And makes richer. Yeah. And yeah. So that's that's what that's all of that is not so much in this particular uh, in detail. That's more what's in Revelation 17 and 18, which. I'm assuming you've been in it recently. I don't know, but I'm not. Don't, I'm not taking the time to look at it tonight because it would take too much time. But but it's rich in telling us. That, but the the added component in Revelation 17 is the religion component 
which and, and of course you know the 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 woman rides the beast in other words the beast is the political power and the woman is commerce mixed with religion and it rides in other words it rides the coattails it it uh, gets on board and and the beast carries it up to a point and then turns on it right or the ten toes turn on it the ten nations which remember that the the two legs of the image in Daniel the Roman Empire always had an eastern and a western branch remember they actually had two capitals for a long time Constantine was determined to unite them in in 312 AD and did his father tried to and and couldn't what was the eastern capital modern day Istanbul Constantinople before that Byzantium was also called right in Turkey and in the the western capital was Rome so and again Istanbul eastern remember I talked about the two first empires in Daniel's are eastern the Babylon Persia the second two were western Greece Rome and it, it hasn't changed much from that beloved it hasn't changed much from that and, and so we see all this coming together now and uh, it, it's and of course taking it well why does he use the word Shinar why does he use the word Babylon in verse 11 well that takes us all the way back to Genesis 11 the, the, the Tower of Babel that's where the rebellion started of course he would go there I get it Lord I see what you're saying the rebellion goes all the way back to Nimrod the first time the word kingdom remember the law of first use in our hermeneutics the law of first use is one of the laws of hermeneutics that the, the word the way a word that, that's used often in the Bible the way it's used the first time in the Bible has a lot to say of how it's used the rest of it you know it, it'll have and the first time the word kingdom is used is in Genesis 11 with regard to Nimrod who would have thought see man wanting to have an empire under his control rather than submitted to God you know that's that's been the, the issue since the Tower of Babel and so here we are at the end and we're back in the land of Shinar of course Lord it had to be there now that to me means it doesn't have to be literal Shinar okay now why do I say that because in other words some Bible students and, and teachers believe that that mystery Babylon the Great has to be in the city of Babylon I think that is really far-fetched that, that when we look at what's happening over that, that whole area the, the uh, infrastructure in that area is, is, is shot you know I mean it's just falling all apart but we know from the image of Daniel that, that it's all one right and so it starts in Babylon and the capitals move and the, and, and the stewardship of the mystery cult from Babylon. The original mystery cults go back to Nimrod and Semiramis' wife, right? And they were transmitted. Remember, they, they moved east to Pergamum in Turkey and then finally came to where? Rome. Rome became the steward. The Vatican became the steward of the mystery cults. Yes, sir. Right. And he, you know, evidently he'd done quite a bit before we had Desert Storm. Right. Uh, so we stopped it. <laughs> right. We, the, the Lord used us to stop it. He could have used Israel to stop it. I mean, they stopped the, the Syrian uh, uh, nuclear plant that they were building there. But he used us to stop it here. But you see how God is 
He's in a lot more control of what's happening in the nation of, in the nations of the earth than anybody wants to. We have the eyes to see it, to give Him glory. Especially in, in the next, the eighth vision, we'll see that. The, the nations of the earth, the people of the earth that don't appreciate the, the Bible, the Word of God, or submit to God, they're missing it by a mile and they're going to keep missing it. See? Because they won't submit themselves. They're in arrogance. They think they are in control. You look at these leaders of our government and they really think that they're going to turn to think the course of this earth. And God says, no, I am doing it. I have a plan. And He's letting us, His children, in on it. So that, I think, very likely, the capital for where, where Revelation 17 and 18 will take place will be Rome or a prominent city in the European American district, you might say, which would include New York, because we know it's a city where where, uh, where uh, commerce is a big big issue in it. From Revelation 17 and 18, that's not so much Rome really today, but Rome could be changed that way quickly in the in the beginning of the, the tribulation period. We know it's it's the religious capital, and we'll probably stay that. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes along. But but when I mean I, you must have thought this in 2001 and 9/11 when that world trade center center of world trade came down the smoke of her burning you know I mean these are all words right out of Revelation 17 I've got to add it up on my wall in the house for a long time to remind me that, that newspaper picture and just thought you know my Lord you're giving us a huge encouragement this is what this is a small down payment of what's coming so that could be right New York that they're weeping over it, 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 to me it, it, it almost has to be because all the infrastructure is, it has, is there has been there for a long time for a hundred years and it's going to take a lot to move it out of there you know just even from the standpoint of practically moving all the even just the computer mechanism and all of it and this file storage and all of that to another location so and and of course New York City is an extension of the Roman Empire. The USA is an extension of the Roman Empire. That's true. That would be that would be another one. Yes, yes, definitely London and London is London is that's right. Yeah, London is is part of the uh, Roman Empire. The United States was. Uh, don't forget, people say is the United States in prophecy. Well, sure, we're part of the Roman Empire. Uh, who settled the United States? Spanish, French, English, Portuguese. You recognize where those countries are? <laughs> All part of the ancient Roman Empire, right? And then eventually the Germanics, you know, the Roman Empire even included, you know, they really went up to the Danube River, but they were trying to conquer the Germanic peoples too. So it's all, and of course, this, this whole bombing in Paris and all is brought... The uh, Europe and America very strong together. Although we've never really separated much from Europe, all our architecture is Roman. Our our governmental system is Roman, mixed with Greece. You know, the Grecian democracy. Our jurisprud- jurisprudence system is Roman. I mean, the case law goes back. You know, that's all Roman. The only state in the in the union. And I know about it only because I travel there a lot. Is Louisiana? <laughs> Remember, it was part of the Louisiana Purchase, so it was French. 
and so they follow French Bonaparte uh, law in, in Louisiana. It's different from uh, the law that, that the rest of us follow. But it's the nation we follow in. Alright, so that, I believe, is what he's describing here. So you see the progression. Both these things are occurring during the tribulation period, which is a period of judgment. And this is judgment too, because ultimately the center of wickedness is going to be dealt with too. It doesn't tell us that here. It tells us that in other places, in Revelation 17 and 18 especially. Okay? So, But this is an important component. It shows us what God thinks of godless commercialism. And, and by the way, atheistic communism is just as interested in commercialism as godless capitalism is. Right? I mean, <laughs> perhaps more so. I mean, look at China. Look at Russia. The two big communist countries, there are a lot of other ones that are smaller, but the two big communist, I mean, they are as much interested in, I mean, they talk about capitalism, this, and Catalan Marx, and all that, but they're as much into commerce, they may not call it capitalism, because how they function with it, it's more government-centered, government runs everything, but, but the, the, the interest in trade and commerce and control of governmental or world markets thereby controlling ultimately people. And the land. And the land. So I mean it, this wickedness this is this this would be all the countries of the earth. Man, I, that's why I am so thankful that I'm not going to be here for the tribulation period. I have no desire to watch it from heaven. I'm going to enjoy the saints and my Lord in heaven. I have no desire to watch because it, it, this is wickedness. And, and, and the message to us who are believers in the church age is we need to understand that God lets commercialism and getting too wrapped up in it ourselves is wickedness before God. And that's what we see all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New. When we have to function in it to, to a degree but we don't have to be absorbed by it and, and, and I try to encourage young people they're setting their sights on different careers and they get these spend all this money on education so then they want to get a career to help pay the college debts and all that I understand that I did that to some extent and, but you can eat, that system will suck you right up and take away all your time for God all your time for the Bible all your time for God's people and before you know it you're 65 years old and you got nothing and you know what they're going to do for you you think they care about you no they just used you and now you're not useful to them so out to the pasture you go and they get somebody in younger to replace you they could care less what happens to you they may give you a little social security payment just to keep you alive because they don't want to mess with you but that's, that's the system yeah, so the marketing of the souls of men there at the end goes on even now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Apostle Paul was warning what the love of money is. Not the money, but the love of it. And that's what that's consistent with this. So, I mean, this vision to, I mean, this preaches. <laughs> vision number seven preaches, uh, really, yes, sir, bro. That whole chapter is dealing with that whole issue. Yeah. Nothing into this world, it nothing out. Yeah. Interesting verse. Yeah. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? I mean, it, it just a, it, you can't you can't put it in that six-foot hole with you. 
Somebody else is going to... That's the whole message of Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon, who's the richest man that's ever lived, the richest man on the earth, and, he, and he's saying, and what's going to happen? He said, I'm going to have to give it to somebody else. I've got to give it to my son, and he may not use it in a way that's wise, like I want to, and I've got no say over it because I'll be dead. And so, <laughs> you know, the, the, and all is vanity, see? <laughs> Of spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it does it to make the kind of money that these men that, that you know I've met some of them that live in these big high rises down here I mean the wealth is, I mean it's just it's mind boggling it, it's something in one sense I can't relate to and I'm glad I can't but but they they didn't unless they inherited it and a lot of it's inherited wealth but they got that through vicious Difficult decisions, probably walking on a lot of people and exploiting a lot of people and systems to get there. That's why God says, I mean, this is verse 8. I mean, what is this, Lord? He says, what's inside? And notice it's, it's being hidden. The, the, the woman wickedness the wickedness of the system isn't apparent on the outside right on the outside it's just the EFA, you know the, the lead disc you know it, it's just the exchange of goods you know what's wrong with that you know it's what's hidden underneath it which is the love of money that Ron talking about and Brett yeah fascinating picture but you see again in our interpretation of excuse me apocalyptic literature that you know, sometimes we look at this. We look at the apocalyptic literature in Daniel, or you know, with the image of the beast coming up out of the water. And we, oh, I've got to draw that. What does that? What does that multi-headed beast look like? And all that isn't. He doesn't want us to draw it. That's not why he's giving it to us. He's giving it to us. It's symbol of certain truths. See. So you try to picture, you know, well, who are the two women that that are, you know, like storks that are carrying it over there? Well, probably two major cities that are involved in transporting to wherever the headquarters of this commercial system is going to be. The land of Shinar, as I say, doesn't, to me at least, doesn't have to be literal Babylon. It can be an extension of what that whole image, you know, down to the ten toes is all one image. And so it can be any city of the Roman Empire as well as any major city of the Roman Empire as well as Babylon, which was the first city in that whole listing. There were a bunch of them in between that became world cities of dominance and then they disappeared. Shushan. Can you even find Shushan in modern day Iran? Who can find it? It was the capital of the great Persian Empire, but who can find it now? It's probably just a desert village. See, They grow into these prominence. That's the way it's going to be for all of them. That brings us uh, to the eighth vision, the four chariots, chapter six. I'll read that one for the sake of time. Then I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. And with the first chariot were red horses, and with the second chariot black horses, and with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled horses, strong steeds. And I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? You see the pattern? I answered the angel, What are these? Interpret for me. See? Another characteristic of Apocalypse. John the Apostle does the same thing in Revelation. The angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before whom? The Lord of all the earth. The one with the black. So who's in charge here? 
the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. The white are going after them, and the dapple are going toward the south country. Then the strong steeds went out, eager to go, that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. Sound like an expression we saw earlier in Zechariah, chapter 1. And he said, go, walk to and fro throughout the earth. In other words, have dominion. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth. And he called to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. (laughs) This is the eighth and final vision. All in one night. And I imagine he may have been physically ill after these, like Daniel was when he got those visions, you remember? Remember that vision in Daniel uh, when he has that prayer in chapter 10 and then the angel is dispatched and he's delayed for 21 days for three weeks by another demon, right? And the demon was the head of, was it Persia? And, and the, in other words, this is consistent with what we see there in Daniel where these, these world empires are really being controlled by angels and demons, and then eventually the Lord of the whole earth. See, Do you ever think about it that way when you read about these things in the paper or look on your iPhone and see all these tragic events and all that? No, we usually don't. We don't talk that way, at least amongst each other. We need to. We need to realize, now the Lord of the, all the earth is in charge here and, and He's manipulating things perhaps for His plan. We don't see all the details, but we know He's good and always does good and He has a plan and we can trust Him and and he may be giving us a little more information here and a little more information there, you know. And so we see then, of course, this the parallel here, obviously, are the, the horsemen of the apocalypse, right? The four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation chapter 6. They're the same, everybody picked up on that, I'm sure, right? But notice, he said, again, with apocalyptic imagery, verse 1, four chariots were coming from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze. Now mountains sometimes represent um, empires. We see that in Daniel. We, we see it right over here in uh, verse 7 of chapter 4 which we didn't haven't come to yet. But in this case I agree with those who interpret the two mountains that he's describing here as the Mount Moriah, or Mount Zion, where the temple is, and Mount Olivet, to the east of it. And in between is a valley. It's called the Kidron Valley, but it's also in Joel called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And what does Jehoshaphat's name mean? Yahweh is judge. Shaphat. Shaphatim where the judges, right? Yahweh is judge. Another judgment scene. In other words, that's where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. They're going to surround Jerusalem and, and between the two mountains is where the valley is where you would attack Jerusalem. And it just so happens that when in chapter 14, when the Lord comes back, His feet touch on the Mount of Olives. Mount Zion or Mount Moriah does that have a... Was there any significant sacrifice took place there? Abraham? <laughs> the cross? <laughs> See? And in between... And then, of course, the, the bronze. Bronze of the metals in the tabernacle. What did bronze represent? 
judgment, right? The bronze laver, the bronze altar, it, it was a judgment. Silver, redemption, gold, deity, bronze, judgment. Consistent. This is a judgment scene again. So we're putting together. First chariot went out, red horses, war, bloodshed, judgment. The second chariot, black horses. In Revelation 6, the black horses, and these, this would be representative of angelic hosts, moving out. The horses are just used in that kind of a way with chariots, the idea of strength and as they're going out and quickness, uh, speed, and, and then covering the whole earth. Um, black horses represent, uh, in, in terms especially of the commerce in the previous vision, uh, the famine that occurs. Remember in, in chapter 6, you know, that uh, take away the, the denarius for bread and so forth. Don't touch the the oil and the and the wine. You know, in other words, uh, the com- commercial system is going to be affected uh, through the Lord's control of weather, famine, and and with that, of course, not just food, water, and and secular people have been saying this for 50 years, right? That the great battle of World War III is going to be over water, drinking water. Potable water we're talking about. Right now we take it for granted, you know. But uh, but in you know out west of this country they they they, they you know they're really concerned now. Now they're getting rain again, so they're going to forget the urgency of it again. But God's given these little glimpses. When that happens and you're deprived of your drinking water, what will you do to get drinking water? Well, about anything. Now, where did you get the water issue from here? Well, I'm getting that from the famine issue of, of oh, uh, the black horse in uh, in uh, Revelation 6. We don't know for sure. I'm just saying that we're making a, a link because of the pop, both of them are apocalyptic imagery that uh, whatever the black horse represents here, is, I think we can agree it's not good. Uh, the white horse... What were you going to say something? Okay. The white horse then that following it... Uh, you know, generally recognition of peace or uh, peaceful dominion. Uh, the, the third chariot, white horses went out, and the fourth chariot, dappled horses. So it could be a progression of these things, which is what we, how we interpret Revelation 6, right? That, that those things are, are speaking of a progression of the events during the entire seven-year period. And they'll fluctuate and be in worse areas in certain parts of the earth, very likely. Uh, as the governmental pieces kind of come together, the ten toes, and do their thing. But the key is to understand is that who is in charge, verse 5. That these are the four spirits of heaven, so they are above the earth if they're in heaven, and they are not limited by anything on the earth. The four spirits would be, you know, the four directions of the compass, you know, meaning that it's all encompassing. There isn't any you know, world worldwide, which is what we've seen really in in the two previous visions too, right? That this is a global thing he's talking about, which is what the Great Tribulation period is global, not just local. And the the reference to the Lord of the all the earth, as I said in verse five, and then he adds in verse six, the one with the black horse is going to the north country. The white are going after them, and then the dapple are going toward the south country. Well, I think, Aaron, you've been looking at Ezekiel 38, right? <laughs> but 
I was looking at that today. I mean, uh, I mean that's fascinating. The 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 big squeeze play that has happened with Israel in the '67 war and the '73 war was the north an attack from the north and attack from the south. In that case, it was Syria and Egypt, right? And Jordan participated in '67. They bowed out in '73. They were wise. <laughs> Uh, King Hussein said, "You know, I don't want to get in on this. I think God's in on this thing, and I don't want to be." I learned from 67, but I was looking at the list of countries in Ezekiel 38. You know, we think of you know Rosh and Meshach in verse two, right? You know, we always think of Russia being involved, but look at the countries listed in verse five: Persia, Iran. Is Iran interested in wiping out Israel today? That fits right in. And by the way, when 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 he speaks any time in the Old Testament, when he speaks of north and south, it's always north and south relative to, to the Holy Land, to God's land. So, uh, uh, something from the north country would be any country that that is to the north, because they would attack from the north. Uh, Israel, you know, you don't attack from the east because it's the Arabian Desert. You're not going to come across the Arabian Desert. You're going to lose everything if you do. And, and then the Mediterranean is on the west, so the, the primary attacks have been either from the north or from the south. From the south, you're going to come up out of northern Africa through Egypt, the Sinai Peninsula, come that way. And that's... Well, look at the country, Persia. You know, we think today, you say, well, Egypt. Egypt's a nothing country. They've fallen all apart since they got rid of Mubarak, right? Well, it doesn't have to be Egypt. In fact, Egypt's not even listed here. But what is what is the, the the big coalition that's in the south against Israel today? They do all happen to be Muslim. Libya, Ethiopia, Northern Africa. You know that the Muslim uh, thing is taken over from coast to coast in Northern Africa. So I used to always think, you know, well, Egypt's got to be the the nation of the south. Then I got to thinking, no, no, wait a minute, it's got to be, it's past Egypt, it's, it's, it's Libya, it's Put, one of the nations going all the way back to the table of nations in Genesis 10. They're all against God and against God's people. So Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, and then Gomer, which is uh, Germany. And Germany's always been anti-Semitic, and and they'll happily join in in a fight to eliminate Israel. And then Beth Togarma, the house of Togarma, that's Turkey. And, and Turkey right now, you know, in this whole thing with Syria and all that. really anti-West. Well, now, that'd be a recent, because they've been wanting to join the European Union for a long time, so they've been kind of pro-West. But they're struggling. They're, they're struggling. And, but Turkey that, has been one of the main countries buying the oil from ISIS. Ah, financing them. Isn't that interesting? You know, they signed a, a, a pact with us So we, you know, the, the journalism in our country is, is not journalism anyway. It's propaganda, and and they're not telling us anywhere near. If you can get the Jerusalem Post, uh, can you get it in English, right? I know it's in Hebrew, but you probably get a lot more information out of the Jerusalem Post than you can out of our press. But but there's a lot more going on over there. But yeah, here we have Rhett and I were talking about it on Sunday. You know, here you got President Putin right there on the doorstep. Meeting with Assad in Damascus. I mean, I mean that's right. That's a little close. 
You're, you're almost like, are you staging the Battle of Armageddon right now? Kind of a thing. What are you and Assad talking? It's interesting. Syria doesn't look like it's a player even in this thing. Syria, which is consistent with what we're seeing, it's totally falling apart. I mean, it's bombed to, like what what's his name told uh, Musharraf, you know, <laughs> we'll bomb you back to the Stone Age. <laughs> Remember the uh, State Department guy for, for Bush told President Musharraf of Pakistan if he got involved in the Afghan war, he said, we'll bomb you back to the Stone Age. Well, that's what... That's what uh, <laughs> That expression, uh, I mean, you can picture what that looks like. If you look at Syria today, whatever the, the major cities except Damascus are just in ruins. They've been bombed by Assad. They've been bombed now by the by the French, by the English, by the U.S., by I guess the Turks to some extent, and by the Russians. They're all right, but all of that's on the northern doorstep of Israel. So, what do you want to be involved in today, as a believer in in the church? You want to get all absorbed in this world system and waste your time, your days when I mean it's all coming together rapidly now. And you know, I pray, Lord, all the time, help me be a good steward of whatever finances I have, whatever time I have, whatever talents I have, because I, I don't want to miss out here. I mean, I have to provide for myself and 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 if you have loved ones for loved ones, but but you also want to be you want to use it wisely for the Lord because the time is coming. I mean, darkness is coming when no man can work. Uh, that's that's what will happen when uh, when the rapture takes place. But it might even happen just before the rapture because the the early church in the first centuries certainly suffered that way. But it'll bring us all closer together, and you'll find out who the secret unbelievers are in the group because they'll be when persecution comes they'll disappear they did in the first century and, and they'll also be the ones to turn you in too to the authorities so they did that in the first century too even their own relatives so uh, but the Lord predicts that in Micah 7 right you know the man's enemies will be of his own household it's a scary thing in one sense from the human standpoint so, so the Lord, the strong tree, verse 7, went out eager to go that they might walk to and fro. In other words, go unhindered. And, but the, what they're doing is they're, they're moving the governments and the armies and the fighting and the battles that are taking place. That's what he's talking about here. That's what these, these uh, chariots, horses are representative of. Now, verse 8, it closes out with kind of interesting. He called them, he says, You see, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. There's some sense in which, in the north country, which could be anything north of the land of Palestine, giving rest to his spirit. I'd like to think, possibly, again, not dogmatically, <laughs> but possibly, that what he's referring to here is the destruction of the harlot in Revelation 18. Rest. Toward, you know, that part of my judgment is done. Remember when the harlot, just before the Battle of Armageddon, when the, the uh, ten nation confederacy turns on the religious political capital because they don't, uh, they don't trust it anymore, you know. And it's, it's just been going on for the ride anyway to be, to be in a place of power and control, just like it did in the uh, Middle Ages. You realize, you probably don't unless you've studied European history, but the church, the Catholic church, you know, the, the, the church in Rome, the Vatican, 
appointed kings in France and England up until Henry VIII stopped them. <laughs> and, and in Portugal and in Spain and in Germany. You remember the Habsburgs in Germany? And, and I mean, they appointed kings. What are they, what are they doing? And, and they controlled governments. They controlled commerce. They controlled laws they con- as well as religion. See, and if you're not studied on that, you read Revelation 17 and 18, they say, oh, that could never happen. It did. That's, it's called the Dark Ages for a reason. For a thousand years, from 400 A.D. to the destruction of, of, of Rome and, and the empire. Remember, the empire wasn't destroyed completely. It just fragmented. It was never destroyed completely. It just <laughs> fragmented. And, and, uh, and then the uh, Vatican continues... Uh, to have his domination all the way through until the Reformation in, in 1517. And what, what enabled the Reformation was the printing press. In 1454, it was the printing press that enabled the Reformation. It also enabled the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution and all of that that followed it. But it was being able to print. Well, I, I think the Internet is the printing press volume two. Because it's replacing the print, the printed page is being replaced now by the internet, and and it has even wider circulation, faster circulation, and you know what? No gatekeeper. See, with a printing press, you had to have a publisher before you could print, and publishers were careful about what they published. I'm not investing in, in printing this material if it's awful stuff, or if it's you know they had some sort of sense of code and ethics and what they printed, but with the internet. Anything goes because a gatekeeper is someone that guards the gate, but it's impossible to guard the gate by des- by definition. The technology is, is yeah. The technology goes around the gatekeeper. You set up a gatekeeper here, so the technology does this. You put a gatekeeper, so the technology goes around this way by design. Even the federal government can't keep can't keep the records of their personnel files from from one of the brothers up there in Georgia works for. Uh, the uh, Savannah nuclear waste site, you know, where they destroy the weight nuclear waste for the USA, one of the two sites in the whole country, and and all his personal data was when they hacked into those files, those governmental files, all it, they they know his address, they know his kids, they know his ages, they know everything about him. All that was in the personnel file was hacked into by people we think in China. I said, well, what do you think they're going to do? They know what his, his, his salary is. They know what his pension is going to be. They know how long he's going to be paid it. And they know all. They know his insurance. They know all that because all that was in the file. You know, they, you know, you work with the government. They keep more accurate files than, than a regular business would, right? I mean, they. And I said, whoa, man. He said, well, I got to just leave it with the Lord. I mean, what can I do about it? Well, I can cry about it. I. Can... I, I said, what do you think they're going to do with it? He said, they'll probably try to blackmail me somewhere along the way to get me to do something for them. If I don't do it, then they're going to... They know where my kids are. They know where they're in college. They know how to kidnap, you know, whatever. Yeah. Our great government can't even keep your personnel file. Now, that's no gatekeeper in my book. <laughs> so uh, so that's the, that's the three... Now, I, I apologize because I know... I thought of this, you know, tonight. You know, they, you're going to go home and say, "Man, that brother! I drove through all that rain to get over there, and all I got was a depressing scene of three judgment <laughs> pictures." And but tomorrow night, come tomorrow night if you can. <laughs> tomorrow night will be the happy side of you know the restoration that's promised, you know, and and the uh, 
the crowning of our Lord Jesus and so forth. I wanted to hit that uh, on Wednesday night for the wider audience, okay, so that most of the people could get that. Uh, and you can share what, tonight with, with people that, that want to know. Maybe a lot of them, some don't want to know what the vision 6, 7, and 8. But they all, de- you, I think you'll all agree with me now, they all deal with judgment, don't they? They all, all deal with the seeing that God is in control. Uh, we see that there's opposition to God and His plan, right? Wickedness. And yet God is in control and He has this, a, a methodology, a process, if you will, by which He's going to deal with it. He's not going to deal with it overnight. He's going to do it in the process. You say, why is He going to drag it out over seven years? Why? Why is He going to do that, beloved? You know that answer. Second Peter 3, nine. What? Well, he predicted it to fulfill his word. That's right. That's one reason. Yeah. That not willing that any should perish. There are people that get saved during the tribulation period. And so he drags it out to give time. That's again his grace. He could do it all in one night. He could do it all in one week. He could do it all in one month. But he drags it out over the seven years, not because he wants to look horrible or make it worse, but to enable people. And, there, and we know from Revelation 20 that people are going to respond you know but here they are the nations they're right there they're all ready to do what we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39 in Zechariah and Revelation we live in days like I said the other night we're on our tiptoes there's no other generation in the history of humankind going all the way back to Adam and then Abel and Cain None of them have been in the position that we are in to see this all set up right in front of our very eyes. What an opportunity. Yeah. I think um, also that you, know, you said that it, it, you know, his judgment is a manifestation of his glory. Oh, yeah. Without his judgment, without there, there, there being a judging of the unrighteous, we would have a hope. No. And one so of the it's a facet, a, a very uh, necessary facet. And what's interesting is, like you said, he's still preaching. You have the 144,000, and then in 14, when there was no one left, he did something he'd never done before. Right. He let angels preach the gospel. Right. That's because he was so desperate to get the message out, and there was no one else with a voice. Mm-hmm. That's how much he wanted to. You have mercy among suffering in this world. Yeah. And if anyone can preach the gospel, the angels can. Right? Yeah, it's interesting he doesn't use them now, though. He uses us. He but doesn't use us. Well, I, th- I, think, I think he's, you know, we understand through Scripture, the angels learn the characteristics of God through humanity. But especially us in the church. That's what I'm saying, the church. Yeah. Right? yeah. Another thing, just to supplement what, what Aaron's saying, that's a good point, Aaron is that he has to deal with unrighteousness because as you know, we the righteous cannot coexist with unrighteousness. They will destroy us. They're doing that now, right? That's that's Psalm 11. What can the righteous do when the when the unrighteous get the upper hand in governments in, in, in the control of the earth? They will destroy the righteous. They, they can't wait to, for the... They'll be glad when the Christians are gone. They've, Hollywood, not this Hollywood, the other Hollywood, the West Coast Hollywood, has already produced the motion pictures 
they've, they've been out for 10 years explaining the rapture and how and who took us and it won't be the Lord Jesus and the rapture in the Bible it'll be you know all these other explanations they've got they'll be glad we're gone if they finally get rid of those self-righteous religious people as they think of us and and but then wickedness will be unhindered see they don't but they don't realize it That's where we're, yes, and then he's got his his millennial kingdom is called the reign of righteousness in his, in Isaiah, right? It's called the reign of right as well as peace, and we will be as his court, as the king's court, you know, helping enforce that righteousness all over the earth. That's part of what we are in training for, training for reigning. That's what we're. But how many Christians that we meet over the years that haven't gotten that, haven't used the time for training for reigning? They use the time to live like the world most of the most of their years, and maybe a few little times here and there, a few conferences, a few little studies. But most of the time, just ignored it, you know. And God's gracious; He allows that. But my, you know, to get the picture of it, of what God is doing, and then find out He invites us to participate. What a privilege! Okay, uh, maybe a lot of good dis- questions, discussion questions, but it's 8.30, so for the sake of time, we'll close out. I know that uh, Bob and Judy have been kind to have some refreshments for us, and so if you'll close in prayer and maybe pray for the refreshments, brother, and thank you for allowing us to... Oh. Yes. In your son's precious name, we pray.